Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, I'm Tom Butler. I'm Brendan Duffy. And I'm Tom Wheatley. And And you're you're listening listening to the James Bond A to Z podcast. Join us as three lifelong 007 fans go on a journey of discovery. We're on a mission to discover everything we can about cinema's greatest spy films. By learning about the people who made them in front of the camera and behind. The James Bond A to Z podcast is in no way affiliated with James Bond, Eon or the Fleming Estate. We've researched each episode as extensively as we can, but our information does come from a range of sources. We do our best to make sure the information is accurate, but sometimes we can get it wrong. If you want to correct us on something or add some more detail, email us at podcast at jamesbondatoz.co.uk. Hello and welcome to a special spoiler-filled festive episode of the James Bond Z podcast. My name is Tom Butler and joining me as we unwrap the twists and turns of No Time to Die is a man I like to think of as the podcast's very own doo-doo. It's Mr. Brendan Duffy. <laughs> Thank you. Hello. <laughs> And joining him, and I don't actually have anything silly to say about him on the introduction for once, is a man that we couldn't have made a year's worth of podcast without, is my friend and the show's very own cue, it's Mr. Tom Wheatley. So I don't get any sort of reference to no time. Okay, fine. I, okay. I just wanted to say something nice about you for once, rather than calling you short or bald or something. So Well, you, you just have. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Thanks, cheers. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> So, with No Time to Die out now on digital, DVD, Blu-ray and 4K, we thought we'd treat you, our listeners, by going off script to talk about the spoilers of the 25th James Bond film. I know we've done a um, spoiler-free reaction episode and we don't normally do sort of reviews, but why not? It's Christmas. We're going to be getting stuck into a couple of quizzes as we go. So, pour yourself an eggnog. Crack open the quality streets and sit back as we get stuck into this festive No Time to Die spoiler edition. Yeah, I mean, obviously, goes without saying, if you haven't seen No Time to Die, don't listen to this episode. Switch off now. But uh, yeah, which one, should we get started? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, well, so we watched it again last night. Mm. All three of us, first time together. What did you think? Come right in. You want me to go ahead? Okay. Well, I actually preferred it second time around, I have to say. Only the second time I've seen it. And despite some of its plot holes that we picked along the way, there's some really good moments in it. It looks great. Um, It looks absolutely stunning, doesn't it? Yeah. And the soundtrack really, really stood out this time around. For some reason, I appreciate it more. But yeah, it's definitely gone up in my estimations, which is good. Really? I enjoyed it. I, as as you may recall, I actually was pleasantly surprised when it came out originally. I think when it came out, I was expecting it to be bad, so um, I was pleasantly surprised by watching by watching it. Um, on a rewatch, I probably 
dipped a couple of percent in my liking of the film, but I still think it's a very good film. I I, I just think that I was pleasantly surprised the first time I saw it, but I did enjoy it and I think it's a, a really good film. It was the fourth time I've seen the film um, and I... Yeah, I, I I still really really like it. I think it's I think it's top tier Bond for me personally. I think that seeing it at home actually sometimes it sometimes makes a Bond film that bit more real. I don't know if that makes sense <laughs> because when you see it at the cinema, you get the full cinema experience. And I've seen films at the cinema which just haven't lived up to that home viewing experience. A good example would be I know this is not a very good film, but like the Jura- first Jurassic World which I was like, you know, really on board with when I watched it at the cinema. I was like, yeah, this is good. This is really good. Um, and then when I watched it at home, I thought, this is absolutely dreadful. What was I <laughs> thinking? Yeah, but- I suppose there's a, there's a certain thing with cinema where you watch something on the big screen and you can be blown away by the whole sort of experience of it, but you don't get that experience at home. So it really has to back that up with story and other bits and pieces. So I can understand that. It would be like watching... Yeah. Uh, some sort of, you know, when you go to, to like, I don't know, a theme park and you go and see some weird IMAX film, which is basically designed to just make you go, wow, this looks amazing. If you watch it at home, you go, this is absolute rubbish. Yeah. Like yeah. Captain EO, <laughs> Michael Jackson. Um, it's, yeah. it's funny you say about the, the, once it's at home, it feels like it's sort of landed. We all first experienced Bond at home on the TV. Yeah. So it's probably is yeah. like Bond Bond is where we feel he belongs in a way. Yeah, but there is no nothing compares to seeing it on the big screen is there? There's like the Prince Charles is is doing another season of Bond films and I'm already thinking oh, I'd like to see these ones on the big screen that I've not seen before. Yeah. Um yeah. But yeah, and also I like I've just recently upgraded to 4K and this is one of the first proper 4K movies I've watched at, at home. And it looks absolutely amazing, mm. like the picture quality and the, the the colors and all that sort of stuff. It's actually better than watching it at the cinema. I mean, the first time I saw it was uh, at the Albert Hall, and that projection was not great. So this was probably the best looking it's been, and it does look absolutely stunning. The cinematography and the colors and mm. ah, yeah. it's just a beautifully beautifully shot film. You see, um, see every strand of Dudu's fur. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, every slice of apple. Yeah. Um it really uh it really stands out. But let's um so let's jump into the spoilers and the first one I've got written down is the death of Felix Leiter. Mm-hmm. Did you see this coming? No, but it wasn't a surprise. It was it wasn't like you know, I was blown away by it. I, if anyone's going to die that he's probably a good character to die that has some sort of emotional pull on your viewing yeah i i agree it's the one that emotionally resonated with me I, I didn't expect him to die no um but they they killed a few characters this time so you know it's a bit like a free-for-all um but yeah no it was it was it was the one that got me closest to shedding a tear i would say mm. i think he almost signs his own death warrant when he starts talking about his wife and family at home doesn't he mm. you can tell at that moment that well, he's going to buy it now. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think Jeffrey Wright is terrific in this. I mean, he's terrific in everything, but um, I think he really sells the moment. Um, and you really get a sense that there's a camaraderie between the two of them that's not forced. It's mm. um, 
it feels real. It feels like they've got a, 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 a bond between the two of them. Yeah. And I was surprised when they killed him off. But you know he's going to die. Like I said, when he mentioned his family, and then when the bullet goes off, you just that's it. Mm. There's no getting. He's not yeah. getting out of this. Yeah. yeah There's um, when we were talking about it last night. The the fact that he's only really in Quantum and Casino Royale, which seems strange. But I think it's a testament to the fact that people care about Casino Royale so much that just putting him. I'm going to ignore Quantum because that's irrelevant. I didn't remember what he did in that, but Casino Royale. If he's because he's in that and he's in this one, it almost feels like he's been through the whole journey with Craig. Because you know the other ones, some of the ones in the middle aren't that important. Mm. Um, but it just works well. It does feel like they've had this relationship when they really haven't. It's all been if they have had one, it's off screen. Yeah, I'd love to see the the sum total of their time shared together on screen. It's probably about fifteen minutes, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's like the dinosaurs in the first Jurassic Park. They're only on screen for like twelve minutes or something. But um, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna draw every reference back to uh, Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is the most I've talked about Jurassic Park. This is the Jurassic Park special. Let's just let, let's. <laughs> well, it's Christmas, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I thought I thought it was it was well earned, um, and that again, I, I it felt felt like in that moment that the film was gonna do things that we weren't expecting, or or hadn't been seen before, and that was that's the first inkling I think that you get of the film's ending, is that the stakes are real, the stakes are high. Mm. Um, mm. Uh, something we talked about as well is that um, the scene in Cuba which is, I think, we all agree, is one of the highlights um, of the film. But you've got to wonder whether or not that might have worked just as well if it had been Bond and Felix on that mission. Obviously, Felix wouldn't look as good in a dress as Anna de Armas does. Mm. Maybe. Um, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. What, what do you think? Do you think that could have worked if it had been Felix and, and, and Bond in that action sequence? I think it would have been more logical to the story. Yeah. Um, I mean that that whole scene. I think, as you both agreed, it's it's a fantastic scene. Anadamas is fantastic in it, but it it is a strange scene because it's like you're in, you're adding in a character who's clearly very good, and you within they've probably given her more characterization in a very short period than they have any character in the in mm. the Bond series, and you you instantly like her, and by the yep. end of that sequence, you just want to see more of her. Um, and you don't. She's disappeared. She's gone. And then you know that's it for Daniel Craig's Bond. So it's it's a strange scenario. So I think it would have been more logical to have Felix Leiter in that sequence, but it would have been a very different scene, and it would have been much slower, I imagine. Less memorable for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It would have probably dealt more emotional heft to the death as well, though, of Leiter's yes. death. Yeah. yeah because you see that last one, last hurrah, and in all their glory. Yeah. And also, you've got to look at the fact that a lot of people probably saw this film who don't remember who Felix Leiter is and mm. maybe didn't really even watch like Casino Royale or Quantum. So yeah. that death scene's probably not really that relevant for people who don't have a sort of Bond affiliation that we do. Yeah. Um, so but yeah, I, that would have been helpful for the, for the state of the film. I, I think that's something you could say a lot about this film is that this is one of the few Bond films where you really have to have been paying attention for the last five films i mean it's the first direct sequel picking up the events from specter i guess i mean quantum of solace does a similar sort of thing with casino royale but there's a lot in this film that relies on prior knowledge to other films 
which yeah. for a lot of people, or at least for some certain fans, corner of fans, is an issue. Um, yeah. Jonathan Sothcott, for example, who was our guest on last week's episode, was very against the idea of them being a continuing narrative. For me, I think it's just something that you have to accept in the Daniel Craig era that there is a continuing narrative. And yes, we haven't had this before, but unfortunately, this is not unfortunately, but this is you basically just got to like it or lump it, haven't you? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's I, I've um, I remember when I went to the cinema to watch it, I came out and there were a couple of uh, young people who came out. They must have been, I don't know, 16, 17. And they walked out and they went, what a load of rubbish. Did what was going on? So if you imagine them, they're not going to be fans of the whole Craig saga because they weren't, they were probably just born when the first one was coming out. And I doubt mm-hmm. they look back on those ones. So yeah, it's a bit, I mean, it's a testament to the film that it managed to make so much money that it, that it has without um, being a standalone film. But you've got to imagine that there's probably a lot of people who came out of that cinema thinking, I don't really know what's going on with that. I thought it was going to be simple to watch, but I've got no idea why that was important. Yeah, I guess if you compare it to a Mission Impossible film, you don't have to have watched all six Mission Impossible films previous to enjoy yeah. the latest one, right? Yeah. They all just pick up a new story. And there is a certain amount of stuff that carries over, but not with this one. No. Um, but again, I'm on board with that. Some people I know aren't. Um, so it just depends yeah. on where you... Well, I'm on board with it because it's Bond. And I know everything, yeah. but if it was another series, I probably wouldn't because, like, Fast and the Furious. Oh, is it? I knew you. I knew it. I knew. If I if I watched Fast and the Furious Nine now, and I haven't watched any Fast and Furious film in my whole life, if I watch Fast and Furious Nine now, I'm assuming that it doesn't really matter that I've not watched any other Fast and Furious films. I can just turn it on and. I think watch it. I would say you're wrong. <laughs> they bring a lot of people back from the dead. But, but they're not entwined into the story, are they? It's just random yeah, no, people turning. Yeah, but you don't know who they are if you haven't watched the previous eight. Do I need to know? Yeah. Yeah, but I'll know they're the all just actors. cardboard cutout characters. I know. Oh, the, I'll, wow. I'll know it's the Rock, and I'll know it's the Rock. Know. The Rock's not in it. Oh, well, there you go. What? Uh, it's got to go to. It's got a spin-off. We'll we'll do that podcast next. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not doing the Fast and Furious podcast. <laughs> all right, um, let's move things on. Um... Safin. Let's talk about Safin. Yes. Uh, Rami Malek. Um, We talked about him uh, sort of obliquely in our spoiler-free episode, but um, now we can sort of talk a bit more about his plan and what have you. And I think all three of us agreed when we were watching it last night that his plan, it's not very very clear what his plan is, and that's an issue with this film. No, I I think Rami Malek is the human equivalent of a Hitchcock MacGuffin. He is just there to drive the plot forward. You don't care about the character. Every time he's brought up by Bond or anyone, they're like, oh, this guy, you've got to get to this guy, you've got to speak to this guy. By the end of the film, nothing he does or says is really that important. He's just driving the plot forward. Um, And by the end, he becomes like an almost pointless uh, addition. But he's a very good MacGuffin. He's He's really nice to watch. He makes it interesting. He's he plays it well, but he's not really integral to the to most of the story. My my issue with him is I can't imagine him existing when he's not on screen. I don't know what he'd be doing. Just waiting. Yeah. Other than that, like, and yet he's orchestrated all this, but I can't see it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Actually, I hadn't hadn't considered that. He doesn't have. You think he's... of other other great ones like Silver. 
in Skyfall, yeah. you you know that behind the scenes, when he's not when we're not seeing what he's doing, he is creating all types of evil. Watching weird yeah. films. Yeah. And setting all this this weird tube stuff up. Yeah. You know, the tube trains. I can believe that. He's not a rounded character, is he, Silver? No. He just serves a purpose. Which is that but I always said that um the, this whole point of this film is that it's not about the baddie. So if you go to Spectre, that was all about Blofeld. The whole point mm. of that film was Blofeld. Whereas this one, it's just about Bond. Like they, if they made, a, if they put a character in it that drew attention away from Bond, it would mean there were issues for his story. Yeah, there was an interview that with Kerry Fukunaga uh, that he's done about the ending of the film, and he talks about how. They basically brought him on and they told him what the ending of the film was and he had to work backwards from there. Hmm. So I think that then tells you a lot about the villain. The villain, like you say, is almost secondary to the plot. They've basically got to create a construct, Hmm. uh, a a, a method of his death that becomes so inextricable uh, and inevitable that he cannot withdraw himself from. And I think that's that's probably an issue with Safin. But that being said, Rami Malek is men- is is very weird and um, menacing in his own way when he does appear on screen. But I just think his motivations are a little bit unclear. Um, yeah, like- well, you got that you got that scene at the end where they he just turns up with a gun and tries to kill Bond, and you've forgotten he even exists. You're yeah. like, oh, I forgot about that guy. You thought he disappeared. I thought he just left. Yeah, mm. and yeah. when he kills him, you're like, okay, right. And the, and the scene Carry before on. that, where he's where he's with Matilda, and he's just he's sat with her, and like it seems like she's important, you know. And then he escapes with her, and then just drop of a hat, doesn't care. Yeah, yeah not bother to carry on. Carry it's on what it's doing. so bizarre. When you try and pick apart the um, the story, he steals Heracles, and then. And then he's got a base where he's turning it, he's weaponizing it. Mm. And but then there's missile silos. So is he firing a missile which has them in? But then there's the talk of the boats that are coming in, and he's got buyers that are coming in to buy it. Yeah. Are they buying Heracles from him for the highest price, or is he launching missiles to create a genocide? Just, it's he's just a MacGuffin, isn't he? Like anything he does, any like throughout the whole film. It's just to drive the plot forward. He's got missiles because you need missiles for the bit at the end. He's got boats coming at him because you need them to come and collect the people from it. He's got this stupid thing that kills Blofeld. It's like he's just a walking plot device. Mm. Yeah. But he's very good at being a walking plot device. I don't think he's bad at it. I just I just don't think it's a rounded character that has any real purpose. Talking of rounded characters that don't have any purpose, shall we talk about Blofeld? Oh, yes. <laughs> What did you make of Blofeld in this? Very odd. Uh, where he's being kept for a start is strange. Why are they keeping him alive? They've kept because we've seen them. Or the whole of Spectre is dead now, and and yet uh, it's Tanner that says he's the most important asset to MI6, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, but I don't know why, because they're just keeping him in a, a concrete chamber. It's very strange. My, my biggest problem with Blofeld. Now I actually. Thought, think that they like the whole concept of Blofeld in this film is quite good because Spectre, I Blofeld for me was a very bad character and wasn't it kind of ruined it for me. But they had they obviously had to close that storyline and they had to do it mm. somehow with 
Blofeld, otherwise he would he would have died in the previous one. Yeah. So I like the fact that he wasn't in for very long. It was quite clean and clear what he did, uh, but it also was very, his his part in it was very strange. Like the eyeball that he has in his head, that somehow MI6, like this super, like secure prison cell that he's held in, they didn't think to check his eye <laughs> that was like electronic of why he was talking to himself. Surely somebody would have listened to what he was saying yeah. and like worked out that it was affecting some things that were happening mm. somewhere else because they're meant to be following Spectre as well. Very yeah. strange. You'd think there'd be like scanners in a in a prison that would pick like something well, up like an electronic they're, they're, eyeball. You'd yeah, think they I did mean, like a surgical check on him to find out what yes. he's got on him since he's killed, yeah. he's almost destroyed the world. Well, I guess the implication is, is that he's got the eyeball after the events of Spectre while he's in mm. prison. So that makes sense that someone smuggled it in. Question is, is is how does he charge this thing, or does it have like some sort of perpetual charging system within the eyeball? Um, yeah. And then all that stuff about him raving, you know, when they show him in the cell and he's doing all that weird, like, yeah, waving of his hands and, and ranting mm. and raving. If he's controlling Spectre, I think you'd pick up clues with what he was saying. <laughs> well, yeah. surely there's like he will say something to somebody to do something and then there'll be like a terrorist attack somewhere and they go, hold on, there's a link going on here. Mm. No, they haven't picked up on that. Oh, he's just mad. Just leave him. Yeah. Yeah. And th- and so this is the second character that's killed off, second legacy James Bond character that gets killed off, um, which again is, is quite a big deal, really, when you think about it. Um, but it has little to no impact, I thought. Yeah, and I just find the way it was done slightly frustrating, and I did I didn't buy it. I didn't buy how angry Bond got, how you know, so quickly. It's just very convenient, wasn't it? Was, it? Yeah, all yeah, all too convenient. We need Blofeld to be dead. Let's. What can we? How can we do this? Um, and it really relied on him grabbing Swan as well, didn't it, to get the stuff yeah. on his hands? Yeah. Like, if that hadn't happened, it would have been ruined. Yeah. So I think that. As I mentioned last night, I think the die Blofeld die is a line from the You Only Live Twice book. Um, But when he says die Blofeld die, it just made me think of um, die Bart die from uh, The Simpsons. You know, the um, (laughs) the sideshow sideshow Bob episodes, Mm. which, yeah, is not what you want going through your head. But I I thought that scene was was pretty good. But the way that he died, I think, um, was... The, yeah. the whole Spectre thing was a bit strange. Like, you've got Spectre, the film, and the whole point of that is that this guy has orchestrated every single event that has affected Bond for the past 15 years. He's like the most powerful man in the world and he controls everyone who has any power either. And somehow, this other chap, Rami Malek, who's clearly not that good at what he does, has somehow managed to destroy that whole enterprise mm. and kill off blofeld in like yeah. a swift you know 40 minutes it yeah. seems very odd it's like a bit of an abrupt ending you think well he wasn't that good then so sort of absolutely all the stuff he did previously and i'm just thinking the whole time if blofeld would just have got rid of safin easily if he was that much of a mastermind he doesn't seem like much of a mastermind does he he's, no he's very good at creating poison but he's not really done a lot else no it does seem a bit of a wasted opportunity with Spectre after all those years of it being like out of uh, Eon's hands for it to come back 
in that one film, make a complete hash of it and then completely kill it off in the next film. Yeah. It's just such a wasted opportunity. And you wonder, like, I mean, I think that what they do with Blofeld in this and the way that they redeem it is, is sort, it sort of redeems it to a certain extent. But from like Safin's plotting and the way that everything is orchestrated felt much more like Spectre than Spectre did in the last two movies. Mm. Um, mm. It never, yeah. Spectre never really lived up to its, its promise of what we hoped no, for. Safin should have been a man working for Spectre under Blofeld in an earlier film. That would yeah. have built up Spectre a bit better, but turning it around makes it seem very... It's like, like if Doctor No had managed to kill Blofeld, it would have completely negated that whole early series of Connery yeah. films because you'd be like, well, actually, he's not that good then, is he? Well, we've just done the From Russia With Love episode. We just recorded it. And, you know, Spectre in that, the way they're represented, you know, there's some... There's some force and menace there, isn't there? Yeah. We don't we see very little of Spectre. You know Well, that party is just daft when they all turn around and look at Bond. <laughs> yeah. And he just looks around going, What are they all looking at? It's not Roger Moore, I don't know why I did that. It might as well have been. been Roger Moore in that moment. Yeah. Um, Roger Moore could they... have been uh, like the Blofeld. That would have worked. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you were saying last night that it would have been better if Mr. White had ended up being Blofeld, that, someone yeah, that you didn't a, yeah. expect. Yeah. A bit yeah. of a twist, but also somebody who does have a quite high level of sort of respect and fear. And it would it would really hammer home with the Madeline Swan storyline. Yeah, The Mr. White thing would have made complete sense because he really had a network. It was actually yeah. believable. He knew what he was doing, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. And, and he loved the secret room. Exactly, um, yeah. Oh, <laughs> But yeah, um, I think the problem was with Blofeld is that also, as he was introduced in the last film, he was just so misintroduced mm. th- yeah. that it just didn't really, no one really cared. It's like, oh, it's his half-brother yeah. or half-step-brother or what, and he's just made up this name. The, the, the name Blofeld didn't mean anything. and so Didn't therefore... even draw attention to it, did they, in this one? Didn't mention no. it once. Thank no. goodness. Um but yeah. I think they, I think that was the only way they could have got rid of. They had to have him in, and they had to get rid of him for the story. So I think they did a good job with that. I think it worked quite well. It was just a confusing process to do it. Hmm. Let's take a pause then on our spoiler episode and and jump into a quiz. I, th- I believe you've both prepared a quiz. Yeah, let's do Brendan's first. Yeah. I've got no idea what it is. No, I didn't, neither of you got any idea of this. So this is just a little bit of quick fun. It's a head-to-head. I don't want any fighting or arguing. So first to five this is. Yeah. And so earlier on I went on Spotify and I got each artist that's recorded a theme for a Bond film. I went on each oh, of their no, profiles and picked their number one song. So... <sighs> First one to five. I'm gonna go. I've I've put it in a in a random order. What do you have to get? The, just the name of the artist. No, I'm gonna give you the name of the artist. So you're gonna have the film, the name of the artist, but then you're gonna to have to get, tell me their number one most popular song on Spotify. Oh. Most plays. Okay, let's do well, this. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Okay, not so very Bond related. It is. What do you mean? It's not very Bond related. Well, the answer is not a Bond answer, is no, it? No, it's not. But we could do that to death. You know. How many people does Bond kill in these, the these poor of listeners? That are, 
These one. poor listeners that are listening to this thinking, well, the only thing I know is Bond. I don't yeah, know, well, I they'll, won't be they'll learn them. more, won't they? Right, so the first one, I'm going to kick off. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. Right, so the first one, I thought I would start from the beginning. Dr. No, 1962. Monty Norman. Oh, no, what? <laughs> that's, that's the level. That's what, So what is Monty Norman? What is, it, what is the number one most popular on Spotify? Surely it's the James Bond theme. It has to be. Are you locking that in? I'm locking that in. You're locking that in. And... It is the James Bond theme. Oh, that's ah. not fair. <laughs> but Should have gone first, fair. mate. <laughs> Next one up is Goldeneye. So you know who Very you know, good. that. Very Tina good. Turner. Uh, that would be... Um, oh, Beyond Thunderdome. I don't know. I can't think of a Tina Turner song. Oh dear! It's, There's it's, like one <laughs> Tina Turner song. Yeah, it's going across to Butler. Yeah, you're not. You're going to pass, Wheatley. Like, yeah, I'll pass. I can't think it's, remember. It's coming over. Simply the best. Oh no! It's what's love got to do? No. Oh. So it's still wow. one nil. One nil to Butler, and it's Butler up next. So it's, it's not beyond Thunderdome. It's not Beyond Thunderdome, no. It's not even a song, is it? <laughs> no, no. So next we've got The Man with the Golden Gun, Lulu. Lulu. Shout. Well, uh, Wheatley gave me the answer first. It's luckily it's not buzzers. <laughs> Fingers on buzzers, isn't it? Yes, that's correct. It is Shout. Well, you know you make me want to shout. Look my hands, jump up. Very good. Come on, Wheatley. You're losing 2-0 now. You've got to claw something back. So, Casino Real, Chris Cornell. I don't know. What's my my name? What do you mean, what's my name? Is that the name of the song? (laughs) Do you understand how the game works? I don't know know anything about music. (laughs) What? You're saying, what's my name? Yeah. Okay, it's not What's My Name. It goes across to Butler. So Chris Cornell is Soundgarden, but if you're on Spotify and you looked up Chris Cornell, then it would show his solo songs. Yeah. And You Know My Name is the only solo song I know of Chris Cornell's, so I'm going to say You Know My Name. Correct, You Know My Name. If you take life, do you know I kind of got it. Three nil. You didn't get it. It was wrong. I said, I got one of the words right. Oh, that... What's my name? <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Now, bear in mind, I did I did this search, this Spotify search in uh, today. It's December. Okay, just as that's a little. I don't want to throw you off too much. Mm. From Russia with love, Matt Monroe. This is Wheatley, right? Or is uh, this me? No, it's you. It's you. Yeah. Matt Monroe. Oh, so you're telling me it's a Christmas song. It may or may not be a Christmas song. I don't know any Matt Monroe Christmas songs, but I'm going to say White Christmas. It can go across. It's not White Christmas. Little Drummer Boy. 
No, it's Mary's boy child. Mary's boy child, Jesus Christ, was born on Christmas Day. Uh, but no, oh. during norm, normal times, it would it would be born free, which I think you probably have a better chance of getting, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we what a great come on. Quiz. Here we go. The spy who loved me, Carly Simon. Yes. Claw it back. It's just nobody does it better. That's the name of the James Bond song. Yeah. That's the James <laughs> yeah, well, Bond song. Oh, and you 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 think it's going to be the James Bond song that's her number yeah. one? No, it's not. It goes across. You're so vain. You're so vain. Correct. That's 4 nil. Okay, I, di- I, di- I didn't expect it this once. Plenty of time. Plenty of time. <laughs> plenty of time to claw it back. Okay, right. Butler, this is to take the win. How many questions are there? Well, there's as many as a, it's the first one to five. I'm not going to do the. If you get that, get to five, it ends. Oh right, okay, yeah, okay. So this is to win it. Tomorrow never dies. Cheryl Crow. I'm going to say. All I want to do is have some fun. That's that's fantastic. He's absolutely romped. It's five nil. Yes, all I want to do. Well, he got the easy ones. <laughs> you got Chris I Cornell. <laughs> I was expecting Aha or um, Duran Duran. I'm not uh, going to lie. Well, Aha was the next one. So uh, had you me. not got that? It's Take on Me. Yeah, Shirley yeah. Bassey. Any guesses for Shirley Bassey? <sighs> Big Spender. No, <laughs> Big Spender. No. This one's actually a Bond theme. It's diamonds are forever. Oh, Goldfinger. No, diamonds. diamonds are forever. Yeah, diamonds. Yeah, and so the other what ones that are quiz. Bond are Bond ones. Wings, Band on the Run. Um, yeah. Oh God. And Gladys Knight, License to Kill. They're the others. Yeah. Well, I yeah. Got any of these. Oh, so round. All Only right. Round. <laughs> so. Let's return to our festive activities, or shall we say, Noel time to die. Uh, nope. Not really, but carry on. <laughs> Madeline Swan. Where do we stand on Madeline Swan in this film? Rubbish. Not interested. No comment. <laughs> I, I think she is a very difficult character to like. She's a very difficult character to sort of feel any empathy for because... In Spectre, she wasn't particularly sort of likable. She was a bit of a well, you weren't you weren't really sure whose side she was on. And then in this film, again, it starts off like that. And by that point, you, you're not invested in the character. But also, outside of the script and stuff, she's just not very interesting or engaging for me. She's like she's she's my biggest disappointment from this film. I think Madeline's one. I'm just not a fan of her. I Brendan echo everything. Wheatley says, to be honest, I didn't, as a character, I find her quite dull. I found her dull in Inspector as well. Um, there didn't seem to be that much character development moving on from that, really. And I never bought the chemistry between her and Bond. Yeah. It, I mean, it may, it may have worked to an extent if we hadn't had Vesper Lind. Yeah. Yeah. She's just massively in the shadow of 
the Vesper Lindray shit because that really worked. Mm. That was a fantastic bit of chemistry between those two, and you really liked her. You just even though she knew she was a baddie, you liked her. Yeah, Manning yeah. Swan just just doesn't do it. She's just not got any sort of interesting qualities. I don't think. Yeah. What do you think? I, I really like her. I think she's. I think she's really a really interesting uh, foil for Bond. I think the problem with 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 Vesper is that she's a, a young love for Bond in the in the story of Daniel Craig's James Bond. So he's fallen in love with the wrong woman. Um, she betrays him. You know, the bitch is dead. Um, all that sort of stuff. But he obviously pines for her and what she represents in that. You know, he he let her down. Uh, he was betrayed. Uh, there's a lot of anger, and, the, and basically the whole of his tenure after after that has been very closely tied to Vesper. Um, but yeah. yeah, I don't think her introduction, Inspector Madeline Swan's introduction, Inspector, was great. I think that it was hard to buy into their relationship because they don't spend that much time together, um, yeah. and all of a sudden they're off falling in love. But I will say that in the start of this film, there, and this is one of the very few films where you actually see James Bond off duty. Um, I know sometimes you get hints of him not working, but like he's always working for the Secret Service. But in this, at the start, you know, when they're walking through that Italian town and he's sort of, you know, she, she has the line about looking over his shoulder. He's a real person at that point, And I buy their relationship. Um, there is a bit of an age gap between them, but um, that's James Bonded for you, isn't it? But um, I'm 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 on board with it, and I, I, and that sort of betrayal that he feels then is obviously echoes of what he's felt with Vesper, and I'm mm. I buy it, I I completely buy it. Um, mm. Like whether that yeah. five years apart, um, whether he would still be so madly in love with her that he just throws everything away for her at the end that's difficult to buy because when he in the space of this film he leaves her at the station she goes off has a child for five years without him he then meets up with her when they're interrogating Blofeld the next time he sees her is in Norway and from that time meeting in Norway they then get captured by Safin go to Safin's island and then that's it it's dead it's probably a space of about what 14 hours maybe mm. it's not long it's not yeah, long yeah. so it's, it's they are stretching it a little bit but that's the movie that's just mo- poetic license isn't it that you just have to buy into that unfortunately um mm. but i think i think leah sidhu is is a terrific actor and and it works for me but you know it doesn't work for everyone um i totally i totally i totally get that and, uh, but this is nothing against against the actor. It's nothing against Leah Sadu at all. It's just the character. No. Yeah, yeah. I just so wish talking... I'd seen her in at some point. At no point, Inspector or No Time to Die. Do you see a sort of happy, hmm. enjoyable yeah. side of her? So it's very difficult to see any different levels of that character. You, I could kind of get it if Inspector there was a side of that character, and this one, you know, she's not as She's obviously she's got a tough time in this film, so she's not going to be happy all the time. But I just feel that that character doesn't have any other side of her other than she's always just sad. Mm. But then you could almost say that about Bond as well, right? Like you, you only ever see him 
I think Bond actually has a few nice moments in this film where he's he shows a little bit of humor and you you look at him and you go oh he's happy he's happy there he's actually you know he's in his element doing that there's little looks at the cam or towards the camera that he does or to his other characters where you see a sort of happy side of him and I think it probably shows in Daniel Craig as well in this film in that he was happier making this film um and you can kind of see that in his acting hmm. um so yeah, I, I think he does actually have some sort of happier, nicer moments where you feel like he's actually a real person. Yeah, I guess the the criticism level level at that then is, is that James Bond is that what we want from James Bond? A lot of people will say, you know, it's gone so far away from what what Fleming imagined for Bond um, that it, it yeah, ceases to be Bond. But um, I wouldn't take it. I, I I wouldn't draw it back to Fleming. I'd always draw it back to maybe Connery. But Connery did that as well. There's there's lots of Connery films where he's a little bit brooding and you know his head's in the game, but he always comes back to a bit of humour and and I think I think that works well. I think it, I think it matches the sort of more in depth Connery films uh, more so um, than the Fleming style, which I think is what it should be doing. So let's talk quickly then about Madeline's secret then, which you know in the trailers when the secret comes out it will be the death of you, which is what Blofeld's line. And it is the death of him in the end. It's it's both it's Madeline's daughter, Madeline and Bond's daughter. How did you guys feel about that specific plot point? Well, it was a necessity for the yeah. the story. Mm. In that he had to have that vested interest in it towards the end because if it it wouldn't have worked if it was just purely for Madeline Swan that he kind of gave everything up at the end because he had no real vested. The, the child is the vested interest he has in that relationship, isn't it? He mentions his family. Uh, You've got to raise the, the stakes. Film. You've got to raise the stakes raises to a certain the level, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. But also it becomes more believable because even if you didn't know you had a kid and you found out you had a kid, you'd instantly have a sort of need to save them or a responsibility for mm-hmm. them where you, you wouldn't have that if it was just a relationship that you hadn't seen in five years. So it adds, it raises the stakes, but also makes it more plausible. Yeah, it's like a... Um... A, a quick fix basically isn't it it's like we've yeah. got like you said we've got 14 hours of them being together what can we yeah. we just need to speed things up it's an easy it's an easy win a plot point that makes the story work but it's does it if it wasn't for that ending i don't think you'd need you need the kid in it the kid seems strange at some points like you, you don't get you don't have enough time to understand to, to kind of engage with the kid yeah um, yeah, it could have been anything. It could have been a Fabergé egg. <laughs> did, did you guys know it was coming? Did you see that coming? The daughter. Um, uh, well, I saw. I saw the hand on the on the train where Madeline puts her hand on her stomach. So I knew. I knew. That, didn't you? Yeah, I, I saw that first that. time round. I was like, oh, okay, she's pregnant, and that's what the secret. Is. The Daily I, Mail. I didn't see it coming. The Daily Mail spoiled it. Like when while the film was in production they ran a story about how bond's got a daughter they even gave right. her name at that point um so neither of you knew about that no no but i i didn't know about it and i didn't expect it but also when it happened i it didn't surprise me either mm. i just went, oh okay yeah just seemed yeah, like it's, a unnecessary thing it's a familiar trope i guess isn't it when a couple separated for so long that idea of the surprise child has been done before mm-hmm. um for me, as you both know, you know, it kind of really struck a chord for me because I've got a daughter of a similar age with the basically the same name. Um, 
Yeah. And so on that very specific level, that all that stuff with Bond's daughter really worked for me. And yeah, they haven't known each other for very long, but that relationship just added a whole new dimension f- to it for me. And actually, when I saw the film with uh, my wife, at the end, she was like, I can't believe she's called Matilde and our daughter's called Matilde. Did you know? And I was like, no, I didn't know. <laughs> did she, did like, she think you had a part to play in that script? <laughs> she, she, I think she thought I'd Easter egged our daughter's name. Right? I think she thought it was like a Bond reference that she'd been suckered into uh, having in her life. But it was a complete coincidence. Um, but on that level, it, that really worked for me. And I don't know how much of that played into how emotionally affected by that particular story was storyline I was probably quite a lot I think um and I wonder whether that particular plot point plays better with certain generations perhaps it does I don't know Mm. for younger generations whether they'd be that bothered by it I don't think they would buy so much into it as maybe an older generation would um no there's a certain um sort of power behind knowing the story of bond and the history of bond and that is actually quite a pertinent moment in the history of bond like he's never had a a kid before and it's all been built up with that relationship but i think for people especially young people watching that film it's almost like like did he did he have a kid is this a thing is that a major issue so i think it's it's massively tied in with the knowledge of bond and the way that it's actually been pulled together yeah, I think in the books, Bond does have an illegitimate son with Kissy Suzuki. Mm-hmm. So there is precedent for it in the books. I mean, James... they, could, they couldn't have done it another way. They couldn't have had the kid in another film and seen it growing. That would have been awful. It had to be a quick win. Yeah. You could never have developed that storyline beyond what they did. Yeah. yeah. And I wonder whether they could ever do it again. I don't feel like they couldn't do it again. Um, yeah. And also a lot of people saying, oh, you know, maybe she could be the spin off. It'll come back to her in the future. If they ever did that, no, I'm out. Or, or <laughs> no. they'll use it as the same way that on a Magic Secret Service, they occasionally reference he used to be married in you know, a couple of the Bond films. They might occasionally reference that he's got a kid somewhere, even if it's a different actor. But I'd rather they didn't. No, rather they didn't. Uh, talking about other versions of 007, there is another 007 in this film. Know me. Hmm. And she was someone we were quite excited to learn about in our pre-release episode that we talked about. And did she live up to your expectations? Um, go on, Brandon. Um, so first time round, I thought it's quite a good character. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And then last night on second viewing, I just found her quite abrasive for no reason, really. Didn't, didn't seem like a, that nice of a person uh, for the majority of it. Um, I don't know if they're just trying to create that and they are trying to create that relationship with Bond, you know, her, how she sees Bond. And it, it felt forced. It felt just, just put in for for that reason. Whereas rather than just giving her a well-rounded character, again, you know, they've not thought about making the character. I think her petulance, a dislike of Bond, I think actually makes her more rounded. I think that gives her a dimension that we haven't seen before in a rival for Bond and I really enjoyed it. I think she's, Lashana Lynch is, yeah, an interesting character in this and I thought her performance was really good as well. She's kind of, she seems quite assured in herself but also in a way quite insecure which is something that 
is more human than perhaps we've seen before. Uh, that's my take on it anyway. I liked her. Mm. Uh, my issue with... I, I think she's she's a good actor. You know? I think she's um, interesting to watch. My issue is with MI6. In that she seems quite juvenile in what she's doing. And if this really was MI6 and you had an agent like acting like that and being rude mm. to another agent, you'd be like, what the hell are you doing? We're trying mm. to save the world here. Yeah. Can you not stop <laughs> doing that? But they don't seem to mind. Em just like treats her like a kid and everyone else yeah. is just like, oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and they're all just... slagging Bond off behind his back. It's, yeah. it's, it's weird. It's a very unprofessional outfit, yeah. MI6 in this film. Yeah. And, and also the whole 007 uh, that's yeah. number you know it, it's such importance on it it's very Get on with the job. isn't it you just yeah. wouldn't have that no. in MI6 no the equivalent would be you know if you've got if you're in a big company you've got an, uh, an employee number and it's like <laughs> yeah. 11346 <laughs> yeah or it's like your locker number you've got locker number 250 and you're like yeah. do you work for a company in the future in the apocalypse <laughs> I've got an employee number. Have you not got an employee number? Not one that I. It's on my pay slips, but I don't. I <laughs> but, don't. No, people don't but, call me it. But no. But my point is, is that the name 007 only means something to us at home. Yeah. As right. fans of the films, to, to them, this it's is something just, that Brendan just would, a job reference, yeah, isn't it? To them, it's just the job reference, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Is your yeah. 007 as his payroll number? Pay <laughs> it must be on there. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> So, yeah, uh, pro- pro- probably with the logo. If they put so much, you know, importance on it, it'll have the little. Well, judging the by gun. the shoddy work that MI6 pulled together in this film, I don't imagine they got logos on facelifts. <laughs> Something else you kept saying about double, uh, MI6 last night as well was how small the outfit becomes yes. when when yeah. they go to yeah. on a big mission. Mm. Yeah, so possibly got... going to like there's people that may destroy the world, and you've only got four people working together yeah. who seem to be like a mishmash of random roles within the company mm. like there's no actual military presence there or anything it's just no. but you've sent in two double o agents you know yeah with backup is is a guy with a laptop yeah what's yeah, miss money penny's job as well i just can't work out what a job is and also also why have they why has q had to go and be in a plane where he's just sat on a computer anyway he could be <laughs> yeah, in his where he could be shot down and if, yeah. if that plane got shot down they're done yeah. for they can't do anything <laughs> And I don't know if you've noticed in that scene, but he's wearing his pajamas, and there's a point yeah. where they say to him, "Have we got you out of bed?" And it's there's no impact on the story, or yeah. <laughs> it's got nothing to do with it. What when he's in a plane? He's in the plane. He's got his pajamas on in the plane. Yeah, he's got like yeah. this. They're like... just so unprofessional. This MI6 outfit. I just, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. But yeah, it's, it all of a sudden becomes down to three people to save the world. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I something and we'll talk about this in a minute. Um, it's something I really hope for in the future of um, uh, James Bond is that we move away from this wood panelled Whitehall setting. It's just, it's just so sixties Bond. I think that we need to move away from it and try something new, <laughs> because yeah. if you just keep repeating the stuff from the past, yeah. that's just one thing I think we can move on from. Well, we were now. saying last night that the. Judy Dench scenes where she's in a room of 40 people it's got mm. naval officers there it's got army officers that's what it would that's more yeah. plausible when the world is about to be destroyed that you have everyone in the same room trying to yeah. solve it but it, it kind of works when Inspector no Skyfall was it where he was working with Q and Moneypenny uh, Bond was yeah because he they were doing it in secret mm. that works when you've got a small group because you've got the people together 
M is in charge of an MI6. So it's not like he's trying to hide from MI6. He's He's got like 500 yeah. people at his disposal. He never mm-hmm. uses them. I have a big problem with this. Yeah, M doesn't seem to know what's going on. No. It's so strange. Yeah, you know, he's the head but, of MI6. Yeah, Bernard Lee would really know what was going yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is very true. But should we take a little break then and do another quiz? Yes. Do you have ability to take notes of your answers to this? Because I'm going to make... So so the listeners can do the quiz as well. Yeah. We're going to do the whole thing and then I'm going to do the answers. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So this quiz is based on James Bond Jr. Oh, God. What? No, it's good. It's good. Okay. So you don't have to know anything about James Bond Jr. really. Okay. Basically... I'm going to give you the name of the character and you need to tell me if that character is an actual character in James Bond Jr. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's quite tough because James Bond Jr. is ridiculous. So okay. um, I've got... It shouldn't be taking that long. I've got 30 characters. Okay. Oh God. Number one, Sir Walter PPK. <laughs> is, that, is that true uh, or false as yeah. a character from James Bond Jr.? Wait, we're doing answers now or when we get to the I'm end? I'm going to do it at the end. I'll just read through at the end because otherwise it gets a bit too easy when you know which ones are true and false. Go. Number two, Walker D. Plank. Are these all false? <laughs> well, you'll find out, won't you? Number three, yeah. The Moth. Go. Number four, Miles M. Isaacs. Got that one? Yeah. Number I, five. I can't work out what the pun is on that one. Well, uh, number five, Ms. Fortune. That's a good one. Number six, Sir Jekyll. (laughs) (laughs) Number seven, The Chameleon. Number eight, Felony (laughs) O'Toole. Number nine, Skullcap. Number 10, Dr. Al E. Gator. <laughs> Doctor, uh, number 11, The Worm. Oh, God. You, I'm interested to see what you get with these. Number 12, General Warfare. Number 13, Dr. Derange. Good. Number 14, Horace I.Q. Boothroyd III. <laughs> Number 15, Scumlord. What? 16, Oddbod. God, I don't know where's what this is going. 17, Agent Max E. Mum. <laughs> oh, God. We're nearly there. 18, yeah. Maximilian Cortex. 19, Pharaoh Firo. 20, Professor D. Mented. 21. Trevor Noseworthy the Fourth. <laughs> 22. Baron Money Pound. Nah. 23. Baroness Dynamite. 24. Tiara Hotstones. <laughs> 25. Q Tip. 26. Sword Face. <laughs> <laughs> 27, Fangs. 28, Goldie Finger. 
29, Blowfield. And 30, Gordon Gordo Lighter. Right, you got everything? I think yeah. I missed one there. Right, okay. okay. I'll run through these quickly. Yeah. So, number one, Sir Walter PPK is false. False. Yes. Yes. Walker D. Plank is true. Oh. He's a pirate, baddie. Hang on. Are you mar- how are we going to mark these? Well, just if you've got it. Just yeah. If you've got okay. it right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> as you normally do. Um, the moth is false. Oh. Miles MI6 is false. Misfortune is true. Yes. Surgical. Surgical. Is false. Can you the chameleon tell us the, is true. Um, the numbers? Oh yeah, sorry. Uh, seven is the chameleon. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Eight Felineo tool. That is true. God. Inspired by Le Chiffre, apparently. Hmm. Uh, nine. Skullcap. True. Oh, yes, got that one. Ten. Doctor Al E Gator. That is false. <laughs> 11, the worm is true. He's a terrorist who is a hypochondriac with an intense dislike of sunlight, so he lives underground. And all his plans take place underground, apparently. Hmm. Uh, 12, general warfare, false. <laughs> 13, Dr. Derange, true. 14, Horace IQ Boothroyd III, true. <laughs> That's ridiculous. 15, yeah, they're all ridiculous. Fifteen, <laughs> Scumlord. True. He's the main baddie. Sixteen, Odd Bod. False. Seventeen, Agent Maximum. False. Yes. Eighteen, Maximilian Cortex. True. Yes. Nineteen, Pharaoh Fero is true. He's yes. He's an Egyptian criminal who believes his family are from... Uh, ancient pharaohs, so he dresses up as a pharaoh with a fake beard. I need to rewatch James Bond Jr. 20. Professor Demented is false. Oh. 21. Trevor Noseworthy the fourth. True. Very good. 23. Baroness Dinah Might. False. I came yes. up with that one. Mm. 24. Tiara Hotstones. True. Nice. 25, Q-tip, false. Yeah. Ugh. 26, sword face, obviously false. Yeah. Uh, 27, fangs, is false. Oh. Yeah, I, that was a clever one, that yeah. one, because Jaws is actually yeah. in the, the mm. cartoon. Uh, 28, Goldie Finger, is true. <laughs> it's his daughter. 29, Blowfield, is false. And 30, Gordon Gordo Lighter, is true. Nice. Rank up the scores. Oh I've got 16. Oh, I've got 18. I thought I wasn't <laughs> going to... good scores. It wasn't, wasn't going to be enough. Pretty good scores. Well, well done. There you go. That's the James Bond Jr. Christmas round. Terrific. Oh, terrific good. quiz. So, on to the big ones. James Bond dies at the end of this film. No time spoiler, to die. Spo- spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Again, what? just in case. How did you first... What was your first response to that? I think it was... I think by the time I got to that point, I 
kind of thought that was going to happen anyway. I said to you about three months ago, I think he's going to die. It's the only way you can get around it. On our on our pre-release episode, you said he was going to die. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I think I think that was the only way that it could be a clean ending for that story arc. And I think everybody involved wanted a clean ending. Craig doesn't want to come back. He doesn't want to have the temptation to come back. Um, it just needed to be a clean ending. And that was the only way you could have done it. Because they already, at the end of Spectre, you already w- walked off and had a happy ending. You can't do that again. So I think it worked. I think I, I mean, I don't think it was an ideal ending for the Bond story arc, but I, I think it worked. And I think it was the only way it could have worked so cleanly. Brendan? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I have no problem with the fact that he died. I just, it's the way he died. So that's the thing, isn't it? It's whether or not the, the death feels earned and whether yeah. you, whether the, yeah, whether it's earned, basically. Yeah. And for you, Brendan, you don't think it was? No. No, it just felt like, it, it felt like an easy way out. It's like they've reached the end of the script and gone, okay, let's just have that shot of him standing, waiting for the, the missiles. Yeah. It seemed like an excuse to have poignancy, didn't it? Like, oh, this will make history. This will be amazing. Mm. People will be talking about it for years. Yeah. Um, But as as uh, as you know, I'm obsessed with Screen Rant's uh, pitch meetings. Yep. And he 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 talks about it quite uh, well in in that video where he's 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 talking about the combination of the poison that he has that it means that he can't see Madeline and his daughter. And the death, in and it's like those two things are almost there's too much thrown into that. When he's going to die anyway, so why has he got to deal with this this poison issue when he can't get off the island anyway? At the end, mm. it just seems like quite a strange thing. And he's saying, well, if he could escape, surely it'd be better to escape and see if they eventually could find out a cure for this thing. This the whole nanobots thing where Q keeps going, there is no way you can ever cure this thing. Like, as if Q would ever say that. Yeah. He would say, I'll find a way. Yeah. Even if it's in five years, we'll find a way. But yeah. No, there is absolutely no way yeah. you can ever solve this thing. So you might as well die. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 uh, it is actually selling out Q because we, what we've seen in Q in the past, Q can sort things out. If anyone can, yeah. it's Q. But even if it wasn't Q, if it was anyone, they'd go, oh, we, we can, we'll find a way. Mm. Like, you know, you just won't see a, like, face to face for a bit and we'll just work on it yeah no there will never ever be in the history of the next 40 years of your life a chance to fix this so yeah. don't worry about it nanobots are not just for christmas wheatley um they I'm make sure that point come up with a new nanobot in about three weeks that can do something. i thought that, oh, they, I that the watch was going to be able to disable them because they were like electronic machines yeah. that the, the 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 emp watch would be able to neutralize them somehow and that would be how they'd get out of it yeah. um yeah. my my reaction he wouldn't be when, able to get off anyway but the thing is if he had closed the blast doors and gone inside the thing they said the missiles would have bounced off anyway would bounce off so he could yeah. have su- yeah yeah he, he could have survived the just, missiles and he could have just shot it again and they could have just fired the missiles again because the crisis yeah. had been averted, or they could have just come in and take and dismantled the uh, the plant. Um, but the the po- the point is, is they had to get to this point of Bond dying, and in, in that way, it it sort of it sort of works. My response when I first saw it is, I literally just put my head in my hands and just went, "No, they you can't kill James Bond." And this is what I said to you on the pre-release episode. 
they can't kill him. They won't end this franchise on a downer. And when I left the the, the premiere, I was just in a state of shock. Everyone was shell shocked. I was just like, I can't believe they've done that. And I knew at that point that it was going to prove to be a big talking point. And 50% of the people will love it and 50% of the people will hate it. I wasn't sure where I was going to land with it. But the more I sat with it, you just have to accept it's part of the canon now. That's it. And there's no point railing against it or being like, oh, this is they've ruined James Bond or whatever. No, they'll well, the just... canon's changed from, you know, the Pierce Brosnan days. As soon as Craig came in, the whole canon format changed anyway. So, yeah, it's not a, it's not like it's a difficult thing to swallow that they're going to reboot, reboot it and the previous one was dead. Yeah, it's just a mo- yeah. It's um, I think once once I was able to accept that, then I was able to enjoy the film a lot more. I think when the sort of early reactions, I was just like, I don't know how to feel about. It. There's just too much to take in. Uh, all the stuff that we talked about already, Lighter's death, Blofeld's death, the baby, the what, the the girlfriend, all this sort of stuff, and then James Bond dies at the end, and you just think, what, what were they doing? But I've come to accept it, and. I think it's the boldest James Bond film since Honor Majesty's Secret Service. They've actually done something with a bit of heft. And whether you agree with it or not, I think it's a film that people will be talking about forever, um, in the history of Bond, at least. Um, so I'm all for I, it. I, no, I, I also think it goes wider than that. It's the first big film back post-pandemic when stuff was opening back up. So it's it's huge in Bond and it's huge in the world of cinema. I think it's it, it stands above a lot of a lot of other bonds yeah in that regard i um i did ask people for their reactions on twitter earlier and um griff who often messages the show he said that they tried to tony stark james bond and i think that's a comparison that comes up a lot like we've just seen the death of iron man and now we've got the death of james bond that we're now grappling with as well um yeah. do you think those two things were connected in any way um, to me, I don't think well, they are. Diff- a bit different with Marvel, isn't it? Because Tony Stark will probably come back in the next film. <laughs> yeah, but James Bond yeah. will return as well. Yeah. Yeah. George uh, of Cinema Savvy, he calls it elite tier Bond, which again, I sort of agree with. And Jason Jackson Flickinger called it Bond cinematic masterpiece. But someone who didn't enjoy it so much is Timothy Todd. And he said, I don't want to watch No Time to Die again. It will ruin my Christmas. Um uh, and then Daddy O, who uh, often engages with us on social media, he said, for me, it's a thrilling and emotional journey and damn funny too. Captures the Fleming spirit extremely well in terms of tone and characterization. And this is something I said about the film as well. It is a funny film, I think. It's one of the, uh, has the best sort of jokes in the Daniel Craig era. Um, it's witty in ways that we haven't seen before. Um, do Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think there's a certain relaxed quality to Craig and quite a lot of other characters in the cast that doesn't really exist in a lot of the Craig ones. Some of the Craig ones feel a little bit rigid and Craig doesn't feel like he's enjoying himself. And you can say the same with Connery. Like the ones, the films where a Bond actor is enjoying himself and having fun, you can see that. I mean, Roger Moore enjoyed every one. You, you can't, <laughs> there's no distinction. But like Connery in Dimes Are Forever gets a couple of all right lines actually but just doesn't seem relaxed and like he's having fun and i think craig in this one feel like that bit where he's having the fight in the um the cuban scene and he gets up from the the bar and shakes himself down and like gives a bit of a 
it's a very shape. comic moment yeah yeah it's a comic yeah. moment but he's in it's not a stupid car if that and you can see that happening in die another day and you go oh god <laughs> but in that one it's like yeah he knows what he's doing in it he looks in control and it it's a very quick short sharp moment and he regains his sort of composure and goes back to it but it's a very knowing scene where he, he's in control of it and i think that's that marks a lot of this film where people are confident in what they're doing with they're not in earlier Daniel Craig films. So let's talk about the very, very final moment of this film. James Bond will return. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I've had many, actually probably this, the number one thing that people ask me is, well, how will James Bond return? And for me, the answer is obvious. He always returns. <laughs> They'll just do it with a new actor and it will be a new story. But for the once, yeah. the the question is much more difficult to answer. Um, because how do you do it again? What once you've killed him, it's always been a sense that it's the continuing adventures of James Bond. But now he's dead. So how do you continue the adventures of James Bond? Yeah, I think I think they they will do something that's a little bit different than continuing the story. So we talked to Lenny Times about doing a period one. They could very easily do a sort of uh, young James Bond growing up into being James Bond. Like they tried to do that at Casino Royale, but he wasn't a young James Bond. He was an adult James Bond. They could go back to like his time at Eton or something and go up from there, which would mean that you, it doesn't, this whole thing doesn't matter. The fact that he's died because you couldn't carry it on for young James Bond. So mm-hmm. I think that they will just carry on, but take it from a different point of his life. And, do you think they'll reference the fact that it's there's been other James Bonds? No, I don't think you can ever no. do that. I, I'll be happy to see them pick up from Die Another Day. I think. Of course uh, you would. Just, just e- would. ignore the Craig era and just uh, let's let's crack on. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't canon. <laughs> <laughs> they could take the Halloween approach and say this is the direct first direct sequel to Goldfinger and just start yeah. it right back from yeah. the beginning again. That would that that'd be a good way of doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be good. Yeah. That would be an interesting way of doing people. it. I, I, I'm, I'm a big advocate of them doing a period piece next. I'm not saying that it has to be the next four or five films, but the next one, do a standalone period piece, which sort of gives them breathing space to then think about what they do after that would be quite mm. quite interesting. Uh, yeah, I think we always said 60s, but I think I think take it back to the books and do 50s, I think would, would make sense. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, again, I always think the problem with that is is how do you do the product placement within that, which is so vital to Bond. Um, but as we discussed before, there are ways of doing that. Um, mm. Just work with brands that have been around for a long time. Yeah. 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 But no Nokia. Is there? So. That's a shame, isn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I rushed out to buy that, that, that phone. Yeah. Oh, you were the guy? Yeah, I was the guy. <laughs> the marketing worked on. <laughs> so this is our last podcast of 2021 that will mark an entire year of doing podcasts and releasing them so i just want to say thank you to every single person who's listened to an episode who shared the podcast with their friends who's left us a rating or a review it's been yeah quite a journey and i'm amazed that we were able to keep this momentum going for an entire year and it feels like we're coming into a new year in a very similar predicament as we did last year with the lockdown looming Mm. (laughs) Yeah, um, but there's going to be some changes uh, to the James Bond A to Z in 2022. Really? We yes. Whoa, what, what have you done? <laughs> You're getting rid of us. <laughs> yeah. 
It's just going to be me solo. <laughs> no, but we have, I think we found that we've started going, we've started treading over the same path. The format of the show has been quite rigid and we've set stuck to a, 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 a certain way of doing the podcast over the last year. But we've now found that because we've got so far down the story of Bond that we're repeating ourselves quite a lot. So I think what we're going to do in the 2022 is going to offer a bit more of a, a, a change of approach. And so there'll be perhaps less episodes covering tax and... Um... Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, we did not agree on this. <laughs> no, that's I, I said more tax. <laughs> anyway, it's going to be a stripped back uh, approach. It'll be the same great podcast content that you've always enjoyed and loved. It would just be probably one episode per letter rather than 16 per letter. Yeah, it's got... Do you know what it reminds me of? Do you remember when you used to buy a comic and it'd go, exciting news inside? It'd be like, this comic is being incorporated into another comic. You're like, what? So you're just you're not going to exist, basically. But you've you've turned it around to do exciting news. That's what you're doing to me. Yeah. I'm getting major flashbacks. Oh. <laughs> well, it's gonna look, look. The podcast is gonna be even better in 2022. That's all I'm saying. Bigger and better. Um, bigger and better. Bigger, bigger and better. But also <laughs> smaller, smaller and better. <laughs> but smaller and better. Yes. <laughs> smaller and worse. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah thanks to everyone who's been listening and um i know that spotify has now introduced a rating system as well so if you've left us a review or a rating on apple thank you very much that's really helped to grow the podcast but now we can do it on spotify too so please leave us a rating on spotify if that's where you're listening to us but yeah here's to uh, another great year of the podcast if people want to email us uh how do they get a hold of us podcast at jamesworldatorz.co.uk and social media at James Bond A to Z on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And with that, we will be taking a bit of a break. So we, the podcast will return in January at some point, but it will be a few weeks before we're back. We need to replenish the stocks of the show and recharge our own batteries because it's been one hell of a year in the world of James Bond and of the James Bond A to Z podcast. So on that note, James Bond will return. We don't know when, we don't know how, but he will be back in 2022. Thanks for listening and have a great Christmas and a happy new year. Thank you very much. Ciao. The James Bond A to Z podcast features Tom Butler, Brendan Duffy and Tom Wheatley. The podcast was produced by Tom Wheatley with music by Tom Ingomels and artwork supplied by Helen Dolly. Christmas only comes once a year.